all my creepers and my creepettes. Hey, guys. Hope everyone has had a, an awesome start to their holiday season. It's been busy. Yeah, always. I love the holidays, but they are so busy. Yeah, we've been treading water with, through our obligations, but we're still here for you guys. Always. So, for this episode, we are talking about outdated medical practices. This is one of my favorite topics. I could talk all day. It's definitely interesting. I had a hard time picking some also because there are so many. It reminds me of that one episode of It's Always Sunny where Mac is trying to convince everybody of religion. <laughs> yeah. And his whole like thesis around this is science is wrong sometimes. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> I picked out some of the more common outdated practices that I would say the general public is aware of, because this is definitely something, like I said, I could talk forever on, so we could do multiple other episodes. If you have a preference that you would like to hear about, if I don't talk about it today, send us a message. We can do it. definitely over my head. (laughs) That wasn't even a pun. (laughs) I know, but the first two have to deal with your head. So, <laughs> yes, but I, so my medical knowledge is the leg bones connected to the hip bone. And I am very fascinated by the medical industry, I will say. Um, but one of my favorite podcasts is called Sawbones. And it is a married couple. The wife is a doctor. The husband is not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they talk about specifically outdated medical practices and Mm -hmm. it is fantastic but anyway we can go ahead and jump into our first one we have picked for today and that is trepanation trepanaceous d (laughs) sure (laughs) sure (laughs) but this is one of the oldest surgical practices around and it is whenever a hole is drilled into your head to relieve pressure oh like on saw i think it was saw three Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. With the uh, grinder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he laughs. <laughs> um, it was thought to help relieve intracranial pressure and headaches. A lot of people suffer from severe headaches and migraines. And, you know, drilling a hole just what sounds when great. That's what happens when your brain's too big. Ah, uh, that's it. I see. Mm. There are also other beliefs talking about your blood getting stagnant, and this comes up later on in other practices as well, but physicians believed that some of your blood would spoil and you would start to have these side effects, and so you had to leak it out. Yeah, and what what is it? There was like four essence that they believed were in your blood. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. What Um, were those called? They're called the four humors. Okay, yeah. Hippocrates is often credited for developing the theory of the four humors, and it is blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm, and their influence is on the body and the emotions. So if one of those four humors is out of balance, then you need to get the spoiled blood out so it can right. restabilize. And I I want to say there was like a turn of phrase that comes from that, like... Um, when someone's in a bad, like a bad humor, a bad mood. Oh, I see. That makes sense. I never thought of that. Mm. Hmm, that's interesting. 
Now, even though this practice is somewhat still used today, it is not for the therapeutic reasons it was originally developed for. It is... You have a headache. Let's cut your skull open. <laughs> yeah. Well, and sometimes they still have to do that. <laughs> but it is more commonly known as a craniotomy today. So you may have heard that term. It's referring to intracranial pressure mm-hmm. and they need to release that pressure. But they know now you have to be super careful and not get into the dura matter and, you know, bl- breaking that barrier. That's not a good time. Oh. They didn't know that back then. So, you know, a lot of people died. (laughs) The Dura Matter didn't matter? (laughs) Yep. Put that on a bumper sticker. (laughs) (laughs) The next one I want to talk about, I had to kind of reel myself back because there is so much information on this, but we're talking about lobotomies next. Yeah, this one is pretty intense. I mean, it's the procedure itself's not anything too crazy as far as like I mean, I think an ice pick is pretty crazy. Yeah, but it, it didn't <laughs> it only took a minute and it was over. That's what I mean more than anything. It wasn't like a laborious complex procedure. Complex mm-hmm. let's say complex. It should have been complex. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> So there is, there's a lot of other information about lobotomies as far as like, um, there's a lore episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love the lore. uh Uh, uh, What's his name? Aaron Mankey. Mm -hmm. He does a great job. Yeah. There's a lot out there. Um, And the movie Sucker Punch. Oh, is that about lobotomy? It's all like a um, metaphor about it. Yeah. That's wild. So basically, the sisters go into the insane asylum, right? At the Mm -hmm. beginning of the movie. And then it goes into the weird, like they're in a prison, more like a jail. No, it's it's a a whorehouse Mm. in, in her hallucination. Okay. And, you know, they go do all the crazy missions. Well, then it comes to the end of the movie and she's like a zombie. So all that crazy stuff that happens in the middle is basically the ice pick being swished around. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel like, no pun intended, but my mind is like blown right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's it's, wild. The, the movie's a little deeper than just hot girls with Dang. swords and guns. So, <laughs> Okay, cool. feel like I need to rewatch that movie. <laughs> But if you were mentally ill starting around in the 1930s, which is like everybody right now. Oh my gosh, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They would cure you by, well, originally drilling a hole into your brain and disconnecting the thalamus from the frontal lobe. There was an eccentric neuroscientist named Dr. Walter Freeman, and he is the pioneer of lobotomy and he used portraits as scientific proof that it worked and he was also a quack and he was nuts so um i want i want to make sure we say he was not a surgeon mm-hmm. he was not licensed to perform procedures at all Mm-mm. and he 
promoted this stuff. He went, he would go from university to university and they would have, uh, I know you've probably seen them in the movies, like the operating theaters. Mm -hmm. And he would go in those theaters and show these other doctors how to do it. And he himself has like no idea what he's doing. I don't have this in my notes, but I'm pretty sure that I had seen or heard maybe in the lore episode, the way that he did this procedure and it had to be called a procedure. So you're not stepping out of your scope of practice here. Mm-hmm. He went in through your eye. Yeah. And because he could manipulate that soft tissue right there and work around it, he didn't have to, there was no incision site. No, it goes with like basically between your eyelids, between your eye and your like nose bone. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> your leg bone's connected to your hip bone, okay? Um, but yeah, there's no incision and there's a a thin part of your skull at the back of your eye socket. And you, you just put that pick up to it and smack it with a hammer once and it was done. That was it. Jiggle it around a little while it's in there. Make sure swish them, swish some curly gray matters up pretty good and uh-huh. call yep. her a day. Yep. Wild. <laughs> and I don't know how people are like, that sounds like a great idea. Sign <laughs> me up, partner. It's because most people didn't have a choice. <sighs> yeah, for real. What a lot of people started to kind of put up their red flags was his quote-unquote scientific proof of success mm-hmm. was just pictures of their facial features well and i because it went on for a long time uh, like a good 20 years that this was happening mm-hmm. and i think that you know by the thousands especially during this time period i think what was actually happening is they wanted someone that was their definition of well-behaved, you know, which was basically mm-hmm. obedient. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty easy to be obedient when you're turned into a vegetable. Right. A hundred percent. Well, and because they use them in mental asylums, which are, they uh, used to be terrible places. Notorious for being full of people that don't need to be in there, but they had no um, rights of their own to say they shouldn't be in there and they were basically human testing so yeah very dark history there but his pictures were how whenever they first came in before their first lobotomy because they would have multiple um and like one woman in particular she looks in the listing it says that she looks combative and disgruntled and she just is she's got kind of a frowny face Mm -hmm. But in her next picture, with half of her head shaved, she looks a little calmer. And then it just kind of progressive. It's her facial features just seem to get more relaxed. And because they are more relaxed, it must be working. Or you're just losing control over the muscles in your face because your brains are all swished up. Right. Because your frontal lobe is responsible for voluntary movement. expressive language such as facial features Mm -hmm. (laughs) which they are now lacking um, and for managing higher level of executive functions like cognitive skills planning organizing things like that like a zombie i guess and like sucker punch i mean don't (laughs) don't expect to get a job where you need to be able to like do any sort of complicated task after having one you know yeah 
maybe work at a factory doing some like repetitive thing over and over, you know. They were really looking at it for schizophrenia use also. It says like a generalized mental illness. Depression was seen as a big one too, but they talk about schizophrenia a lot Mm -hmm. with lobotomies specifically. And they do do a more refined version of this still and just cutting little pieces. But we know more about the brain now. We can see better. We know... (laughs) Um, we have a sterilization field. Like, it's different. <laughs> I think the first one was done, like, at his house. And that's why it's done with ice picks, because that's literally what he used was an ice pick out of the cupboard. Yes. And by 1945, he had revolutionized the technique. And he modeled his own version, but it is modeled after an ice pick. Mm-hmm. And a lot of physicians even mention that. You know, they would go to one of his conferences or something and they're not completely sold. And the ice pick was definitely a hiccup for him. Yeah. <laughs> like, how how realistic is this to use such a crude instrument? Yeah. So I, when it comes to, like, gifts, you know, I like to get you oddities and curiosities and stuff like that. Well, I found on Etsy... You search for curiosity and lobotomy picks come up. Yeah, they do. Like lobotomy and the little hammer that goes with them. (laughs) Yes. And I'm like, ooh, I don't want that in my house. (laughs) There's got to be all kinds of bad stuff attached to that. It's all mush. Angry mush, though. Angry, confused mush. Yeah. Oof. That's where I draw the line when it comes to buying curiosities. Did this probably cause someone else pain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want it. (laughs) Going back to Freeman specifically, since he is the pioneer of this whole procedure, he was also on drugs the whole time. He had morphine all the time. Yeah. And he's showing up to lectures crazy. So he's an intense guy, if you can imagine, because he's a quack and he's on morphine. I imagine him thinking he is just the shit. Yes. He fights with his wife. They're arguing because he's going crazy over all of this. So naturally, him and his assistant get into it. And they have a falling out. And they split ways. And then Freeman is basically described as going on a frenzy of a like medical tour type of thing. Oh, yeah. A rampage, if you will. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and sometimes he would do more than two dozen lobotomies in a day. Yeah, I think I remember from the lore episode saying he had done several thousand before anything was done about him. And that's just what he did. Uh That's not including all of the other physicians that he influenced, and they did comparable number of lobotomies also. Right. So in August of 1958, he has journal entries that he had journeyed from Lincoln, Nebraska to St. Joseph, Missouri to Cherokee and then Independence, Iowa, and recorded 50 transorbital lobotomies in just over four days and across 650 miles. Yeah. That sounds like somebody on the run. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to make a quick buck on the road. What? Like a vacuum salesman? (laughs) Yes. Do you have any crazy people in your house? That's basically it. So he kind of was on the run because... 
competing physicians started to come up with this drug called Thorazine, mm-hmm. which is like the first anti-psych drug. And it started its debut in the early 1950s. And it was very successive, less invasive. And they didn't have nearly as many side effects as having no, an ice pick jammed really? in your brain. Yeah, That's for real. very interesting. Yeah, pretty great. <laughs> I too would like to not have an ice pick stuck in my brain. <laughs> but then he pretty much fizzled out after that. As one does when you're a crazy person. I mean, I can understand. So part of his argument that I understand is that he did not want to have to take drugs for a problem, which I can understand. I don't like taking ibuprofen and Tylenol all the time. But he was also not certified or within his own scope of practice to be even experimenting with that. Right. He probably had ghosts in his blood. Probably. He needed some of that. Some leeches. (laughs) Some leeches. Yes. But for real, like, he shouldn't have even been toying around. That should have been left to a neurosurgeon, you know? Mm -hmm. Not your general practitioner. Mm -hmm. Jumping back to leeches. (laughs) (laughs) Our next topic is bloodletting. Vampires. Vampires. Why? What vampires have to be bad? Why can't they just... Be doctors? Right. You got ghosts in your blood. Let me take care, Let of, that me take care of that for you. It's because they can't control themselves. Oh. They get the hunger. And then before you know it, your patient's dry. And Whoops, that's a malpractice suit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Good, good <laughs> argument. <laughs> Checks out. <laughs> Bloodletting has been a practice for as early as 3,000 years ago. And the ancient Egyptians pioneered this practice by using a lancet or leeches to draw out the bad blood. The practice was used around the world and it had spread to ancient Greece and continued to be popular in practice in Europe and America almost all the way up until the 1800s. But I've also heard of tribes and different areas around the world that do still use bloodletting for different occurrences. Maybe not as mystic as it started out. I think modern as. medicine still uses leeches for some yeah. things. Yeah. A lot of times it was thought that the body had too much blood and that was causing the issue, like inflammation mm-hmm. or headaches, things like that. So they could siphon some of that blood off to give your body more room. But there's also another practice that more people might also know about called cupping. And there are two different types of cupping. And it's. I know what that is. <laughs> Um, most people have probably seen it like in the Olympics and the people, they have yeah. the big round brew circles like on them. A boxing match with an octopus. Exactly. Those are cupping marks. So you can do dry cupping or you can do wet cupping, which is what it's called. Kinky. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> and it is believed that you have, again, like I mentioned earlier, stagnant blood. And we need to pull that stagnant blood out. So the wet cupping, they make just a little tiny cut Mm -hmm. with a scalpel. And then they put a cup over it with the oxygen removed from the cup. And it sucks the skin and tissue up into the cup. And it drains off the bad blood. You can look up videos of it. It is 
It is exactly as it sounds like. Disgusting. But it is pretty gross. Um, a lot of times the blood is like a jello-y. It's weird. It congeals. It's gross. Dry cupping is going for the same effect. You're just not pulling the blood straight out of, the body. out of the body. Yeah. yeah. It is pulling the toxins from the area that the cup is working. And then your body can flush itself by drinking an increased amount of water after the service. And your body flushes the toxins for you. Yeah. Works really well. <laughs> I think that's pretty, not the cupping, but the leeches, they also still use maggots. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot. Oh, it's gross. It, it that is. grosses me out so bad. It's real gross, but it works. Ugh. Why can't you just cut it away? I'm sure that the the... You know, you might not be able to cut it all. You might miss stuff and not realize it, but the maggots are going to be able to smell it because that's what they eat. <laughs> Ew! I well, can't. You're welcome. Because, like, do you feel it the whole time it's happening? I don't know. I, don't oh, God. I wouldn't think so if the, fle- if the flesh is dead. That's why it's, I don't like it. That's why it's rotting to begin Ugh. with. Mm-mm. Gross. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it no more. <laughs> Ugh, they get me. Oh, it's so gross. Oh, that's awesome. We've never reached a point where you are done with a subject on this show. Oh, it's just as gross, and I can hear it, and I can feel it. Ew, gross. The worst. <laughs> I'm going to talk about electroshock therapy now <laughs> to get over that. Because that's so much better. <laughs> I would rather... Zap. I would rather have electricity going through my brain than to deal with maggots. Yep. Shocking. (laughs) I would say the term electroshock therapy is pretty known, but it is what it exactly as it sounds like. You know, going back to the whole oddities thing, I did almost buy an electroshock therapy machine. That's cool. It was from like France, and but it. That's crazy. It went out of, it sold before I could get it. Well, it's funny that you mentioned France because I found the account of the very first session of electroshock therapy happening. Qu'est-ce que c'est? Qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> if you haven't watched Courage the Cowardly Dog, <laughs> that's le quack. <laughs> but in Rome on April 11th, 1938, the first electroshock therapy on a human was performed. But the patient had not quite consented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not qu- it's either yes or no. I don't think there's a maybe no. in there. No, he did not consent. <laughs> he was mostly nonverbal. He was picked up on the side of the oh, road. Yeah. They assumed that he was schizophrenic and he had... Obviously, he didn't have any friends or family if he's this type of way, this type of mentally ill. Did he have ghosts in his blood? Maybe they should have started with there. Probably. They didn't, though. (laughs) (laughs) So they figured that he was a safe enough subject to try this out because the physicians had just been waiting for an opportunity like this to fall in their hands. That sounds about right, though. Yeah. Medical stuff is great. (laughs) Real morale booster. (laughs) (laughs) So the director 
of this first experiment. His name is Ugo Serletti. He was an Italian neurologist who was passionate about finding treatments for psychotic disorders. So this was his perfect opportunity. You know those TikToks about how guys think about Rome all the time? Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. You could say he was a neurologist. Oh, my gosh. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> For the empire! <laughs> Sirletti had been conducting similar experiments with animals for years, building up the confidence to even try the procedure on humans. So, also a psycho. Apparently, he had a taste for the extreme in the medical arts also. In 1937, he had begun using a stimulant drug, mostly known as metrazole, to treat schizophrenia. When given in high doses, though, it would induce seizures. Mm -hmm. Which you would think is undesirable and probably terrifying. (laughs) But to schizophrenia researchers... It was exactly what they wanted to happen because they thought at the time there was something about the convulsions of the seizure that would counteract the effect of the disorders like schizophrenia on the brain. Why do you think that? Have you just like bought into your own BS that much? I can only imagine their egos are through the roof. I mean, that's what I think. Like, are you, is that actually what you thought or are you more justifying the side effects because you don't want your idea to fail? Right. Well, and he's been testing on animals for however long with the potential to move up to humans, which he's fixing to do. I feel like with no like they're nervous, but they're only nervous of failing. They're not nervous for the person that they're torturing, basically. I feel like medical research would be the perfect field for a serial killer. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't Hannibal have uh, some influence in that. <laughs> it's adjacent. Close. Close. Adjacent. <laughs> About half of the animals that they had subjected to the electrical shot, they died of cardiac arrest. That's real promising. Let's put that in people. <laughs> right. <laughs> they were using stimulation of around 120 volts to cause the convulsions in dogs. But deaths in humans had been reported after as low as 40 volts. Well, and here's the thing about electricity. Voltage is not lethal. Voltage is what causes the pain. So it'll hurt the higher the voltage goes, but the voltage won't kill you. It's the amperage that kills you. Mm. So you like you really need to understand electricity before you start trying this stuff. Like you need to be a doctor and an electrician. Yes. <laughs> For real, because you could you could shock the absolute shit out of yourself with high voltage and be fine but as long as the amperage is low you're fine other way around which i don't know of an instance where you would have high amperage with low voltage i don't know Mm -hmm. that that necessarily exists but high amperage that's what kills people i have no idea how many amps they were using they probably didn't either and that's why people died at 40 volts jeez The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) They soon also learned that the original placement of the electrodes was one large reason the dogs were dying after the electrical stimulation. Any guesses where those were? 
front lobe for their electrodes yeah. for their original placement yeah you would be wrong one on their mouth and one on their anus straight through them <laughs> so does, of course it doesn't even make any sense i know and of course it's bypassing the heart if that's your flow of electricity no shit you're zapping their heart i can't even with this <laughs> like you're supposed to be a doctor but all you are is an idiot yeah i it blows my mind how they are allowed to practice such crazy trials yes i mean which is why the asylums were so bad right but just when they realized to move the electrodes to the head oh we want to affect the brain we might maybe we should put it around the brain (laughs) you would think (laughs) the pulses of electricity produced the convulsions that they were looking for but rarely death guess what because it wasn't running across your heart They must have never been struck by lightning. I mean, I don't think most people have been, but you know. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's how you die from lightning. It goes always through your heart. Mm -hmm. Quickest path to the ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after they started having success with the dogs, with the electrodes across the brain, they upped their experiments with pigs. And they found that the electrical current applied for short periods to the head, convulsed but didn't kill, as it did with the dogs. Then they started to gain confidence because dogs and pigs are living. So they decided they were ready for a human. And then and like Shanghai some dudes. Yeah. Basically. Which <laughs> yeah. So they have the guy strapped to the table. They have the two metal wand things on the sides of his temples. And they run 80 volts of current surging across his temples. The patient's body contracted one time, lifting him up slightly from the bed. And then his body suddenly fell back down, limp but alive. Upon questioning, the patient didn't seem to have any recollection of what had just happened. Serletti was was not satisfied with the outcome because it was he didn't shake (laughs) enough (laughs) more passion more passion (laughs) more energy that was bad (laughs) so he ordered to give another shock but this time at 90 volts The the patient's body convulsed once again but the spasm lasted just a little bit longer but also The patient stopped breathing. His diaphragm remained contracted and he began to turn pale. It's like one giant hiccup. (laughs) But like paused in time. (laughs) Because. The Guinness Book World Records longest hiccup. Longest single hiccup. (laughs) Because he's suffocating at this point and the asphyxia continued for a few seconds afterwards. And then all of a sudden the patient let out a deep breath he laid silently for about a minute and then abruptly sat up in bed and started to sing a song that was popular at the time. Even though the song was unusual to be sang at this moment, everybody kind of relaxed because he's he mostly dead. okay. <laughs> but a lot of the other physicians in the room started to wonder if the second shock had been too much. 
Yeah, that's nuts. Sarah Letty said no. Do it again. Another. Another. <laughs> so he wanted to attempt it with 110 volts. And according to Sarah Letty, some of the other physicians that were involved started to become uneasy and urged him to stop. Someone suggested that the patient be given time to rest. Somebody else thought it would be better to wait until the next day to continue testing. But then this is the really creepy part. The patient unexpectedly chimed in with an ominous warning. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The patient said, be careful. The first one was a nuisance. The second one was deadly. And then Sarah Letty looked at everybody and said, let's continue. I imagine that like the beginning of an always sunny episode and then it goes to the black frame and it's like, <laughs> the gang has a malpractice suit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they turned the, sh- the machine up to maximum voltage of 110 volts. And when the switch was flipped, the patient's muscles contracted in a spasm. But this time they did not relax immediately afterwards. His body began convulsing with the rhythmic shaking of a seizure. As his body shook, his face began to turn pale due to the lack of breathing again. And then it started to turn a bluish purple. Obviously, he's suffocating. He has no oxygen. But they're just timing it. They're not doing anything to make sure he can breathe again. They're only timing it. Because they don't actually care. This is an experiment to them. Yes. So they're watching the seconds go down. And at 48 seconds, the patient finally violently exhaled and fell back to the bed fast asleep but his vitals were normal and then they declared that electroshock therapy was safe for human use wow how thoughtful of them yep it turned out after the next two months the patient was eventually deemed cured and it turns out that he wasn't just a vagrant but he had a wife and she'd been searching for him desperately but they were able to be reunited because of this therapy. Wow, the world is an awesome place. <laughs> but they don't all I feel like most of the stories do not end up like that. No. It ends up with somebody that is fried in a room somewhere being left unattended. Now, electroshock therapy is still used today, but it is more commonly known as electroconvulsive therapy. Maybe if we change the name, it won't sound so bad. That happens with quite a bit of practices that are still done today. (laughs) They have refined the practices of it and the dosage that you can receive. A lot of people use it still. See, someone that's not a doctor said, hey, you can't be doing this to people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carrie Fisher used it. I feel so good about the world after this episode. Makes me want to go see the doctor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't have anything constructive to have. <laughs> Just tearing down the man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't already, go to one of our social medias and go to the, the description or the about section, whatever it is on whatever platform, and check out our link tree where you can find links to uh, directly download the podcast itself links to our other social medias and a link to our merch store we have lots of cool stuff um there's hoodies and t-shirts and mugs oh my (laughs) so be sure you're checking that stuff out 
like the best way you could possibly support us though is to share Reapers Creepers with a friend. That's the best way that information about podcasts gets spread. You know, there's there's actually been a lot of research done on marketing podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sponsored posts, advertise none of that works. No one cares about that when it comes to podcasts. The only way that podcasts are shared is by word of mouth. So, if you could, if you know someone that would be interested in our show, let them know. Yeah. I think we have our, the most traffic on our TikTok. Yeah. So, we are on Facebook, on Instagram, and on TikTok. And then we also have a email address. It is reaperscreepers.spooky22 at gmail.com. Let, let us know your stories. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>